If you would take your Bible once again and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to be beginning this morning at verse 5. And we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They also wax old as doth a garment, and as the vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit in my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word this morning. We thank you, Father, for the truth of thy word. We thank you that we can have and study to show ourselves approved unto God. And we workmen needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I pray that you help us as we look into this passage of Scripture this morning to see the Son of God clearly as he is declared in the word of God. Help us to understand Give us wisdom and help us to be sensitive and allow the Spirit of God to lead us and teach us and instruct us. Lord, we pray that there be any in our midst this morning who do not have assurance of salvation, of eternal life through this Lord Jesus Christ, this one who was anointed above his fellows to be a Savior, to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that you would help us, help them to understand, come to repentance and faith in Christ. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, during his earthly ministry, Lord Jesus made some statements and asked some questions concerning his person that were not contradicted or refuted. He also accepted titles that belong only to God. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 6, the Bible says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of palsy, Lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. They're all going like, Whoa, wait a minute. This man blaspheming. And the Bible says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take off thy bed, and go to thine house. He said, sons, thy sins be forgiven thee. 
Matthew 12, 42, he says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment. This generation shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And interesting, there's an interesting thing in Matthew chapter 22, a question that he raises. You know, they're constantly requesting who he was. And so he questions the Pharisees in Matthew 22, verses 41 to 46. The Bible says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord. So the Lord said to the Lord, Sit thou in my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now we know who that, so God the Father is saying to God the Son, Sit thou in my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so Jesus asked him, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? You know, they said Christ is the son of David, so how can he be his son if he's his Lord? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You know, they quit asking him questions because they couldn't answer his But the answer is quite simple, but they didn't want to accept it through the virgin birth. He could call him Lord because he was the Lord. Because the Lord, the son was given, the child was born, but the son was given. The son wasn't born. The son's eternal. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is is born, unto us a son is given. So Isaiah clarifies that the son would be given, he would not be born. Because he is from eternity past, but the child would be born. The man part. See, these are the things that Jesus asks. Uh, in, in Mark, or Matthew 20, or 9, 28, it says, When he was come into the house, a blind man came to him and saith unto him, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They asked him to, to heal him. They said unto him, Yea, and they called him Lord. In Matthew 12, and verse 8, responding again to the Pharisees, he said this, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. I made it. I made it. I'm the Lord of it. Matthew 15, 22, Behold, a woman out of Canaan, this is a Gentile woman, came out of the same coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She understood who he was. She called him Lord and son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. There were those who worshipped him. Matthew 2.11 tells us the wise men came from the east, and they they fell down and worshipped him. And they gave him treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 8, 2, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. By the way, I believe that leopard was Simon, who was either Martha's husband or Martha's dad. Matthew 9, 18, while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler 
worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. So here these people are worshiping him. They're giving him the due that is worthy him because they recognize that he is God. And he didn't say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. You shouldn't be worshiping me. I'm a man. Now, Peter did. Remember, Peter went to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius fell down at his feet to, to worship him, and Peter said, stand up. I also am a man. In other words, don't you worship me. I think it's in Acts 13 at Lystra where Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas had healed a man and, and they brought garlands and oxen. We're going to do sacrifice. On it. And Paul and Barnabas were like, whoa, they were running their clothes. No, 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 don't do that. Worship God. But Jesus accepted worship because he was worthy of this worship. See, the message that was continually given was that this was not just another prophet but was and is in reality the son of the living God. That's who he is. He is of greater merit than the prophets, the priests, or the kings. He is worthy of worship. The word merit means worthiness or the excellence of the son of God. Your Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And here in Hebrews chapter 1, we see the merit as we, as we compare, as the writer compares the Lord Jesus with angels, that he, his merit is so much greater than the angels. We, ha- we have, I'll notice three things for this morning. First of all, we have a declaration of the Father. Uh, we have a declaration of the Son, verses 5 through 8. And, and there are several things I want to notice there as we consider the uniqueness of the person of Christ. First of all, he is the begotten of God. Uh, Verse 5 says, uh, Unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So never to the angels he said, you know, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The word begotten of God here has the idea to be the author of divine nature, which he himself possesses. In other words, Jesus, or the Son, is divine, and he's the author of that divine nature being made available to those who will come to him by repentance and faith in Christ. Psalm 2, verse 7 says, I would declare the decree... The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's what this, this is really a quotation from Psalm 2 in verse 7. And it refers to the resurrection of Christ, which proves him to be the Son of God with power and able to give eternal life to as many as call upon him. That's, that's what Psalm 2 is about. You know, declaring him to be the Son of God with power. We know Romans 1, 4 tells us that he is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. You know, Paul quoted this passage in, in Acts chapter 13, and, and, and I'm going to read that, Acts chapter 13, in verses 32 through 39 where he says, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, 
as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, or I have raised thee up. And it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to see corrupt, return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had discerned his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So, you know, he is the one. He is the author of the divine nature. He is the one who is the author of salvation and can give that salvation to others. And he is the one that can give us uh, salvation uh, 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 the, the salvation of God, and that we can be justified from our sins by his resurrection. He's also referred to as the first begotten. Now, if you notice in verse 6, it says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. Now, this is, this, this, phrase of wording here is a little bit tricky it's, it when i you know originally read this and as i studied it i come to a different conclusion but the, the word and again when he bringeth has to do with the future it refers to him coming in his second coming and again he when he bringeth and again it's referring to the second coming when he bringeth the first begotten into the world so the time of the appearing of the Son of God, and we know that the time of the appearing of the Son of God is determined by the Father. So when he bringeth, when God brings the Son back into the world is the idea, the first begotten. And we know that that time is determined by the Father. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And when the disciples asked him about it in the book of Acts, just before he ascended back to heaven, he said to them in verse 7 of Acts 1, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So when he bringeth the first begotten, so one day soon the Father will send the first begotten son. The word first begotten refers to the one who has priority or is preeminent, who is sovereign. See, he is he is the sovereign God. Though he's the son, he is the sovereign God. And he has sovereignty over all the world. Or this word world here has the idea of the inhabitants of the world. You know, people can thumb their nose at God and, and, and laugh at God and do all what they want now. But there's going to come a day when they're going to realize that he is sovereign over everyone. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And they will no longer thumb their noses at him. The Bible declares in many places that he is going to judge. He's going to be our judge of the quick and the dead. John 5, 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. In Acts 17, 31. Paul told those at Athens, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. That man he raised from the dead, he's going to give. The, he's going to judge the world by him. Second Thessalonians, chapter one and verses seven through nine. It says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall punish with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be admired and glorified in his saints and be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1 says that, that he is going to be the judge of the quick and the dead. You see, this first begotten is sovereign over all the earth, over all the world. He is the preeminent one. You know, in Colossians 1, it tells him that all things he might have preeminence. I mean, he made it. Shouldn't I have rule over it? So he is. This is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, many people like to put him in this little box where he's this, you know, just this loving, kind, he'll never offend anyone kind of person. And you can just come to him however you want. And you can, you can come to him whenever you want, but you can't come however you want. You have to come in us to his terms. That's who our Lord Jesus Christ is. You know, if, he, if you come to him any way you want, he's of no consequence. That brings us to the second thing, the character of the Son of God. Now, I want to notice two things here, and there's some, some big words, but they have simple definitions. Number one, he is impeccable. That means he's flawless. And number two, he is immutable. That means he's changeless. He does not change. And both those things are brought out here in this passage. First of all, he is impeccable. In verses 8 and 9, it says this, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He is impeccable. His, you know, this, this, the word impeccable means he's flawless, he's sinless. It means he's not capable of sin. God cannot sin. And we're talking here about the Son of God. His throne is one of righteousness. It's unchanging. It speaks of impartiality. It speaks of a righteous government. You know, with earthly kings and rulers, even good ones, there's flaws. There's flaws. All of us have flaws. You know, they're not, we're, we're not always right, or, and we're not always upright. All men have flaws. But concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Paul, Peter said in Acts 3.14, that they, they crucified the Holy One. And the interesting thing is, in fact, you ought to go there to the book of Acts. And I want, to note, want you to notice some things about this that, 
that stood out as I was uh, looking through this. In Acts 3, in verse 14, Peter's responding to the Pharisees again. He says, The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up, and denied him the presence of Pilate when he would have let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. And the just. Now, notice anything different about the wording there? About the wording? Holy and one are capitalized. And so is just. Now, the Bible tells us in Peter that, that God delivered just Lot. But there the just isn't capitalized. It just simply means that Lot was a righteous man. He'd been made righteous by God. He was a saved man. But here we're talking about not just that he was a just man or made righteous. No, he is righteous. He is the righteousness of God. He is the just. In chapter 7, again, verse uh, 52, in uh, Stephen's defense against the Pharisees, says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. And again, they're capitalized. Just one. That's a title given to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a name, if you will, given to Christ. Uh, chapter 22 and verse 14, Paul, in his defense, again before the Jews at Jerusalem, in verse 14, he says, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one. You know, he could have put in there, you could have, that thou shouldest know his will and see the Lord Jesus Christ. But he calls him the just one. It's a name. A proper name. See, this is who Christ is. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus didn't know any sin. He never sinned. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 John 3.5 says, And you know he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You see, there's not a, he did not have a sin nature. He had no inclination to sin. You and I have this inclination to sin. If somebody tells us that we should not do something, what's our natural response? We want to do it. My wife would tell me, you can't do all that by yourself. You know what I want to do? Yeah. Isn't that stupid? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know it is. I know. Go ahead and say it. Say amen. Yeah, go ahead. But you know, that's that's our that's our natural inclination. But he had he didn't have that. That was detestable to him. He knew no sin. He hated iniquity, the Bible says. He hated iniquity. And it is his righteousness that governs his, governs his justice and judgment. Notice again verse 8 and 9. 
But under the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Now the word scepter of righteousness here, uh, it's applied to a king, indicates the severest and most rigorous of rule. You know, when Esther went before King Ahasuerus, unless he held out the royal scepter, it meant death. If she went before the king uninvited, unless he held out the royal scepter, she was to be put to death. That's, that's, that's a rigorous rule. Now, the Lord Jesus is going to rule with severity and rigor. But do you ever really think about it? The gospel is very severe. It's very dogmatic. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But see, we want to try and make it that way. But it really isn't. There's no favoritism. There's no exceptions. Well, you know, he was such a nice guy. Or she was such a nice lady. So we'll let her into heaven, even though she didn't repent of her sin. No. No. Well, they meant well. No. The answer will be no. Well, they were such good people. The answer will be no. In fact, look at a few verses here. Luke chapter 13. And, you know, sometimes you and I have a hard time with that. I understand. But that that is the truth. Luke 13, verse 1. They were present at that season, some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. So Pilate had put to death some Galileans for some reason. I'm not sure exactly what it was. It doesn't explain it here. But it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Unless you repent, it's repent or perish. That is the reality. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Unless you have a spiritual birth, Nicodemus, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will not get eternal life. Unless you have a spiritual birth. John 10, 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in. Jesus said, by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in tonight and find pastor. By me. Do you know what that does? That excludes every other way. 
It excludes the church. It excludes baptism. It excludes the saints. It excludes your prayers. It excludes you know, giving money to the church. It excludes all your good works. It excludes everything. It's simply by Him. Now, can you get any narrower than that? It's single. Only one way. That's rigorous. That's dogmatic. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 17, 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You know, the way of salvation, the way to eternal life is very narrow and very rigorous. Matthew 7.13 says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And you may say, well, I don't want to repent. I don't want to submit to God. You don't have to. You don't have to. It is your choice. However, to not choose to repent is to reject the love of God offering, offered to you in the Son of God as a sacrifice for your sin and it will bring the wrath of the righteous judgment of God upon yourself. You will be rejected by God and cast into hell for all eternity. That will be justice. Divine justice. Because you have rejected the life of the eternal God, and you will receive eternal damnation. For the Bible says here that God hates iniquity. And to reject Christ means you're still in your sin. That word hate there means to detest. To detest. God detests it. You know, Psalm 2 gives us a little glimpse of the, how God views that and what he commands of us. Psalm 2 and verse 7 through 12 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. It's talking about his justice being carried out. Rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. That, the idea there is to bow before him in reverence. Like, a, like in the Oriental, they would bow before him and kiss the hand of the king. So it's to worship the sun, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him.
you know, Second Thessalonians 1 that I read a little minute ago tells us, you know, the Lord Jesus is going to come and he's going to bring punishment upon those who obeyed not the gospel. But he's going to glorify those who admired him, who worshipped him. See, it all depends on what you do with Jesus. He is the impeccable Son of God. There's no sin. He's flawless. Secondly, he is immutable. That means he's unchanged. It's verses 12 or 10 through 12 of our text says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of thine hands. They, all, they shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as the vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So he's immutable. He, he does not change. The Lord refers to, the, the term Lord refers to Job, Jehovah here in his reply to the Son. And so this declares him to be the true God, even that God who has his being of himself and continues of and by himself. He's the eternal God. You know, in the beginning refers to the beginning of time. So the Son was there at the beginning of time. So the sun was there before that beginning to begin what we now know as time. He was already there. You know, this means that Christ was before time. He created time, which serves him, but doesn't affect him. In other words, it doesn't change him. Now, does time change you? I don't know, but sure has changed me. I tell you this, give you bear, bear, bear of bad news, Nick. But when you close 60, the joints start to ache a little bit at times. And you will lose some of that hair, I assure you. You know. And it will turn gray, most likely. You won't walk quite as fast as you used to. You know, getting down on the floor with the grandkids is getting back up is harder than it used to be. Time changes us, doesn't it? Not just changes us physically, but it changes us psychologically, mentally. But you know what? Time doesn't change the Lord doesn't change him. You know, they say that, you know, when you become a grandparent, something really changes about you. You know, my kids say, I don't know that man. You know, you get mellow. But, but time doesn't change the Lord. I mean, he made heaven and earth. Verse 10. He laid the foundations, and the heavens were the works of his hands. Uh, and heaven and earth changed, and are changing, and will be changing. You know, we, there was just an earthquake in, in Haiti yesterday. I don't know if you heard about it. A large earthquake, seven point something. It, earth is changing. Uh, there's volcanoes. There's fire raging in the west. It'll change things in the earth. Floods in Europe. War changes the earth even. And of course, the Lord is going to change it one of these days. 
He's going to melt it with fire and fervent heat. Second Peter 3 tells us about that. But the Lord remains the same. Notice again verse 12. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. He's going to change this world like you'd, you'd fold up a garment that's wore out. And your clothes wear out. They change. And they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. You know, the closest, and, and, and here's the wonderful thing. If we are in Christ, our eternal destiny does not change either. Even with time, even though my body starts to ache and it changes as I get older and my physical strength leaves me, yet my eternal destiny is not going to change because it's in the unchangeable God. It's just like, sort of like, you know, the Lord promised Joshua and Caleb, even though everybody else had sinned against him and would not enter the promised land, we're going to die in the wilderness, he assured them, you're going in. And though they wandered around with those people for 40 years, they knew that one day they were going in. Caleb would say, give me that mountain that the Lord promised me. See, because we serve an unchangeable God, our salvation is unchangeable. Our eternal destiny is unchangeable. We're just sort of like Joshua and Caleb waiting for that promised land. Knowing it, we are going to receive it. We have inheritance, undefiled, reserved in heaven that fadeth not away. So he's immutable. Thirdly, There's given a command here to worship him. If you notice in verse 6, it says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. This again, as as I said earlier, was referring to his second coming, and God the Father declaring the return of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, accompanied by the heavenly hosts of angels and saints who worship him. For he is greater than they are. This is the whole idea here. He is greater than us. He's worthy. He's more worthy of it. He is of more merit than they are. After all, he created them. They are his creation. You know, he created the angels. Verse 14, as ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. So it's a command to worship the Son of God who is worthy, who merits our worship, for he is righteous. And he has purchased our redemption with his righteous blood. You know, the word worship among the, the Orientals, I mentioned this earlier, refers to a picture that is the Persians is to fall upon one's knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. So it's to bow before him. Remember, the, 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 one, of the, one of the men came and kneeled before him and worshipped him. I think it was a leper. Kneel before him and worship him. You know, Romans 14, 11, and 12 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 Philippians 2, 9 through 11. 
the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so there's a command here. We are commanded. We're not suggested. We are commanded to worship God. You know, Paul told those at Athens in Acts 17, 30 and 31, the times of this ignorance God waked at. You know, the time of ignorance of God, who God is or times of, of us making our own form of God, it's done. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom hath he ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he raised him from the dead. See, God has given assurance through his word that he, to every man that he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the days of ignorance is bliss is over. You know, God has manifested himself through creation, the Bible tells us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day under day, other speech, night under night, showeth knowledge. Romans 1 tells us that, that the things of God are clearly seeing his eternal power and Godhead by the creation. And, and then you have the nation of Israel, which is a testimony to the goodness and grace of God. And furthermore, we have his word. A complete revelation of God himself. Days of ignorance are over. You know what's so sad? You know, I remember probably eight, ten years ago, Nathan and I remodeled a house in Chapel Hill. And, you know, Chapel Hill's full of liberals. Well, it was a liberal family. It's an old lady and she had two daughters that one was a school teacher and, I, and the other one's husband was a college president I think in Florida. I can't remember what the name of the college. So these were educated people. I talked to the school teacher. I witnessed to the school teacher one day. And I said something, I can't remember what exactly I said to her, and, and so I took her to John chapter 3, and, and she said her mother always said, beware of those Baptists. She said they were good Presbyterians. And they believed in uh, uh, election and predestination, you know, and all that stuff. I said, well, the Bible says, except a man be born again. I said, what does born again mean? And she couldn't really give me an answer. Here's an educated person that can read, that can understand English. But you know what the Bible tells us? That they're willfully ignorant. And Paul says the days of this ignorance. God, he, he winked at it in the past. He ain't winking at it anymore. Because he has appointed a day and he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, the resurrection of Christ was not something that was done in a corner. Paul said that to King Agrippa. It wasn't done in a corner. In other words, it wasn't a secret. It was something that was well known. It is something that is very well documented. You know, many have set out to disprove the resurrection of Christ and had finally come to the conclusion after being faced with all the truth that it is true. Josh McDowell was a lawyer. I don't recommend all of his books, but Josh McDowell was a lawyer in law school, mocking God. And a young lady challenged him to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he did a lawyer's investigation. You know what he concluded? He concluded, I need to receive this Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he did. And wrote books about his investigation. See, this, this, isn't, this isn't the times of ignorance. This bliss is over. Hebrews 9, <clears throat> Hebrews 9, verse 27, 28 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It was once to die, but after it's going to be the judgment. He only would die once. Now he's going to judge man for sin. He was offered once to bear sins. But unto them that look for him, that wait, that expect him fully, he's going to appear without sin unto salvation. That word salvation means deliverance. He's going to deliver us. Those that are looking for him. Are you of those that are looking for him? Do you really know the Lord Jesus Christ as he really is? Oh yeah, he came as the Savior of men. But there's only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. When he comes again, he's going to come as our judge, the judge of men. But if you're saved this morning, your sin's already been judged. You've already passed the judgment. You've passed your judgment on to him. For he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. So have you by repentance passed your judgment on to him, submitted to him, and believed on him as your Lord and Savior? He is worthy.